live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Josh, chase to the sideline, fires into the end zone, and it is caught. Gabe Davis makes the catch in the end zone. Third and goal from the one. Josh gives it to Devin Singletary, cruises into the end zone, touchdown Buffalo. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody when the boy works in the weekend. Yeah, here we go. Five o'clock hour. I can't scream. I can't scream. We got to. We're uh, we're doing the show from San Diego, so uh, I find interesting locations to do the show from. So I'm in the uh, lobby with a bunch of people walking around. Folks had their back turned to me. I didn't want to scare the hell out of them. John Von Tobel is over at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We just brought in one USC guy in uh, Petros Papadakis, who uh, does radio in LA. This guy does radio nationally. I think we have him on the horn. Another USC guy, host of our national morning show. We have Keyshawn Johnson on the horn. Keyshawn. Yo, what up? It's loud inside what up? the stadium, but hey, man, you get a chance to see the real and hear the real, feel the real atmosphere, what it's like inside uh, Legion Stadium here in Las Vegas. I know you guys are all located in a different place, but this is a great situation going on right now. How big is the crowd? Is it mostly filled in? Yeah, it's starting to fill in. It's, it, I, I'm sure it's sold out, but pretty much you can see where every seat is taken except where the bands are. As you hear our fight song in the background, our band is on the field, pregame, doing what we do best, play our fight song. But, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm sure by the time kickoff happens in the next 20 minutes or so, it'll be completely a packed house. Keyshawn, how far enough do you get? The Raiders probably don't get this. (laughs) Uh, Well, some games do. It's been a little more docile lately. How far enough do you get for USC games now? I I say it one more time for me. I said, how far enough? You know, as a former player, you know, a guy who's been in the media, how far enough do you get for these uh, USC games? I'm excited about it. I think it's it's about time that we got back to where we could be, you know, dominant team in the country. You know, obviously we lost early in the year on with a new coaching staff, a bunch of new players trying to get them underneath them. But this is a different season for us now, late in the year, got kind of in our rhythm a little bit. But it's fire. It's good, man. It's always great to be able to see our team play the way that they've been playing down the stretch. It's really good to be able to, be able to talk about USC with the likes of LSU and Alabama to the world and the Georgia to the world because Keyshawn Johnson is with us. He's out at the Al getting ready for USC and Utah in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, I, I love that point you just made because I remember talking to some people in the Midwest, some radio people, and they were questioning how good a job USC is. And I was arguing with them. I'm like, this job has immense potential. It's a great job. Yeah, it's it, 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 people can say what they want to say. It's the best job in America. There's only three, four maybe jobs in college football that can rise with it. You, you, you think about it. You, when you talk about college football, you talk about Alabama, you talk about Michigan, USC, Texas. You don't hear them. No one really talks about other programs that may be winning. Nobody, nobody is, you know, a, 
he was already established in Oklahoma and decided, you know what, I need to see the ocean. Keyshawn, why do you think uh, Caleb Williams is so good? Say it one more time. He's loud here. Say it why, why do you why do you think uh, the USC quarterback is so good? Well, I think, one, he's in the second year of the system, right? He played with Lincoln Oklahoma some years the USC, a bunch of transfers with him, but also he's just growing over time. USC is the first black quarterback USC has since Rocky. Not only that, there's not a lot of athletic quarterbacks when you look at it that have grown for Pac-12. And on top of that, that's just how football and that's the cold rest. Athletic quarterbacks. The guys with gravy in their boots, the big 6'4", 220 pound guys, that's over with them. They more athletic guys that can run around, deliver the football. That's where college football is supposed to hit. Hey, last one. Who's going to win the game tonight? That's like a better question. Who do you think will win the game? <laughs> USC, baby, let's go. There you go. All right, Keyshawn, hey, we right. appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes. Enjoy the game. Thank you. There he is. Keyshawn. It's funny. I just, uh, again, I am on the uh, road trip here for UNLV in San Diego tomorrow. And I was I was going to tell you guys during the last break, because the players are walking around a little bit, and there was a, a parade of Keyshawns, because uh, UNLV's got a, a big guard, right? Keyshawn Hall, who's 6'7 you know, and 260. Right. And arguably the best player now is Keyshawn Gilbert, who's off to a great start. And uh, you can see there's a lot of Keyshawns out there. I don't know if it's a direct relation to uh you know Keyshawn Johnson people naming their kids after uh, the original Keyshawn but uh yeah it was a uh, very much a uh, five minutes filled with Keyshawns lately and you know what for USC alums this should be <laughs> super exciting this is where they should have been the, the down times and the the freaking cheapness with the you know a couple of the previous coaches the the misses with the hires and ridiculous and you know it's I think people take it for granted that now you look back and, and you know, that, that Lincoln Riley is the coach. That that was an incredible coup. And you and I have talked about what a kick in the groin it was for Oklahoma fans because now they're looking around and they're like, wait, maybe this program was mostly about the coach because look at what he's done, you know, coach and quarterback. But that said, I, I have every confidence, and I'm sure you do, that this ain't going to be the last stud quarterback who's at USC. They, they will always have a good quarterback. Um, yes, and Lincoln Riley's a massive part of that. I mean, look at his run of Heisman contenders at quarterback in his system and what he's been able to do. And now you're talking about USC is always an attractive program for a quarterback to go play. And on top of that, you're going to be in a quarterback-friendly system that's going to put you near the top of the pecking order of quarterbacks in the nation compete for a Heisman Trophy, and you get to tap into that SoCal talent. I, I, it's a travesty if he doesn't have a, a top-tier quarterback every single year going forward yeah. until he retires. And one of the first things he did was, uh, you know, he had gotten a commit from, I think the kids from Los Alamitos, uh, Malachi Nelson, who's an elite quarterback in Southern California in yep. 2023 class. And the, one of the first things he did when he got the job at USC is like, all right, young man, you're coming with me. So uh, that kid's already signed. I think he's already got an NIL deal with Clutch. So they're just going to have star after star after star. And really the, the, the final thing he has to do here, because – USC can be on any kid's list around the country from, you know, shore to shore, tip to tip, whatever. Every You're going to want to look at it. Uh, it's got great history. The I know that there's all this nonsense, this anti-California thing. When you go there and you see what it's like, you're like, holy crap. This is 
incredible. The, the last thing he's got to do is just get a couple of complete recruiting classes in here and start to build up that defense. And then they should be a top 10 program moving forward. And guess what? That's what Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma. And I'm not sure why much of the time that he was at Oklahoma, there was a segment of fans who just pissed and moaned and took him for granted. Like, do you realize what you have? Yep. Uh, absolutely. Well, that, but that's people believing in the brand over, right, the coach itself and not really realizing, like, just because it says OU and you've had some success in the past does not mean that's guaranteed to translate to whoever fills that void whenever he decides to leave. I'm going to say, how can you not realize that? But that's the way fans are. Uh, their, you know, opinion of their school is not really in touch with reality. But if you just looked around, your former rival for a good, you know, 30 years until they ended the whole thing because of different conferences. But Nebraska has been through some of the worst times because they took for granted what they had. And frankly, you know, the other thing with Oklahoma, they had John Blake and Gary Gibbs there as coaches, and they both fell on hard times. Like you, In your recent history, you weren't that good. Look at Texas, right? Texas didn't fall down to the bottom of the barrel. But That's the Texas other rival. Has been <laughs> the other rival. Right, yeah. That's the, that, the, Texas has been begging to be the, poor, the program it used to be. It has been grasping its straws with coaches for years now trying to reclaim that magic. Look at Miami and what is happening there. I know that's not an Oklahoma rival, but still, like we see this all the time with these programs. They are not what yeah. they used to be because they don't have the coaches that they used to have. It, it's, it is a, it's, a, it's an old tale, but I'm surprised that people still don't realize it. Look at how quickly it can happen in college basketball, right? Since, since John Thompson, what has Georgetown been, right? And now recently, mm -hmm. whether you like Patino or not, and, you know, he's a dirty dog, but look at what they've been since. Chris Mack struggled, and they're off to a horrific start with Kenny Payne. Yep. A horrifically terrible, like a horrific start. Yeah. And that's why it's not the worst start in the world. Um, but over the next few years, what Duke is going to become, because I've seen a lot of, like, ah, oh, it's Duke. It's going to be fine. Okay, we'll see. Same thing with North Carolina. There's a lot of questions about, hey, you know what? That team might have just caught fire and really just made a run, but we've seen early on in this season too. They're not the number one team in the country, and who knows what happens over the next two or three seasons. Good job by Ari tracking down Keyshawn Johnson. We appreciate that. Uh, Q had a little hand in that as well, and ESPN National setting us up with the host of the morning show uh, on ESPN National, Keyshawn Johnson. A little later in the hour, we're going to try to track down uh, Steve Lavin, He's the coach of San Diego. We'll talk some more college basketball with Coach Lavin. But coming up, let's uh, get into this Raiders-Chargers game a little bit. And I'm going to throw a, a couple of numbers at you, which are pretty mystifying, uh, considering what the Raiders are achieving on individual numbers and matching it up with a win total. It doesn't make any sense. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at BJVT or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Anytime you're playing a Hall of Fame type player, it's going to be hard. You know, he's someone that has made plays uh, his whole career, and, and not just plays, but you know, game wrecking, game changing type plays. Not only him, but their whole front. You know, they got guys all over the place. Great depth. You know, all across that line that allows him to you know play freely and move around and do the things that he's you know best at. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. John Montobel is here. Actually, he's at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, Treasure Island, Cofield on the road in San Diego. Ari is where he always is. 
in the Finley Toyota Studios. And good thing, good thing. Pulling these shows together can be a Herculean effort sometimes, but uh, we're uh, we're doing a, a good job on this one, if I may say so. There's the ultimate jinx. Uh, we're going to try to talk to Steve Lavin, now the coach of San Diego, former coach of UCLA, in less than Ooh. 15 minutes. So get on down to the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. You got more college football tomorrow. Uh, 55 plus TV, so all the TVs are on different sporting events. Very cool. You're going to get every sport you want at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Are you tracking the other college football games today? First of all, I know you saw that uh, UNLV is 99.9% out of the bowl mix now because Akron couldn't hold on against Buffalo. Buffalo scored with like a minute and 15 seconds left to win the game. Yep. Yep, it's, it's tough. Uh, I will say, I did see uh, Missouri declined a bowl bid, so I, maybe does that open the door for UNLV? I don't know. I, I but, don't know. Uh, I, was, I was asking uh, around I, to I would say UNLV that, folks, and I, I didn't get a great answer. So, Right. So, at the end of the day, um, it's tough. You hope that the Akron Zips would pull it off, but they don't. I guess the uh, moral of the story is win six games. So you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that's how you get into the bowl games, and uh, – but in the end, about 78 qualified, <laughs> and then there are 79. So now they've got uh, Rice will get in with five wins, and New Mexico State's going to play that game against Valpo. But they already got the waiver to get in with five wins. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Tony Sanchez, the coach of uh, the wide receivers at New Mexico State, and he was a player there at wide receiver. Uh, he is on the staff at Jerry Kill therein. And uh, UNLV did practice a little bit this week, the football team. And we, uh, we heard from John Sassenti in hour number one, and John was saying, uh, not making the bowl game is kind of a, a good break because they actually got to use the uh, use the fields a little bit uh, <laughs> over at Fertitta um, for the Pac-12 uh, title game setup. Um, I want to find out. I'm asking a bunch of people what the crowd looks like at the Pac-12 title game because I don't know how much you uh, listened early in the week, but I was kind of questioning this whole, hey, the game is sold out thing um, because I've seen a lot of events right. touted as being sold out at Allegiant, and the secondary ticket market has the uh, tickets up there through the roof, and then sometimes you walk into events and you're like, wait, there's not 57,000 people in here. There's like 10, 15,000 empty seats. So the early pictures had a lot of empty seats. I was chatting with uh, our guy Arash, Mr. LA, Mr. Vegas, and Arash threw something back at me and he said, well, you know, there, there are empty seats right now, but I expect it to fill in. He goes, the starting time is kind of difficult. Yeah, but we're we're not in LA. This is it's not this is not Dodger Stadium. Yeah, what are you talking like, about? The starting time. Everyone knows difficult. the games. Everyone knows the game. Well, is also, like, o'clock. and it's USC and Utah fans who are coming. They did they didn't they didn't work today. They didn't. Were they driving like with you know fifteen right. minutes to spare? Where are they? That's that's my thing. Like you're not getting off work and going to the good old ball game. Like no, you took a trip out to Vegas to go see USC in Utah. You should be there on time, getting drinks, getting your seats, and getting ready to play. Now I'm seeing from here where I'm looking right now. The lower bowl did look pretty packed, but that was the first shot I saw, and it was relatively tight to the field. So not a hundred percent, but I always you always take the uh, you always take the sold out thing with a grain of salt, as you mentioned, because. Uh, course you want to get that out there oh yeah no it sounds great for the conference and you know it's good for vegas and i'm sure it's going to be a monster crowd uh we know that utah fans certainly are going to travel the question was how many se fans would be in the building um 
Raiders Chargers, is this one of those games that we see every week and there's usually several of these games when you look at it and you're like, hmm, you know, there's so many questions on both sides. I really don't know which side to play as uh, it seems like, well, you tell me, is are the bets all on the Raiders? Is the Why, why is the line moved so much? Well, there's some respected money on the Raiders. I don't know if you would include my money that is respected, but it's got some <laughs> of the line. I took Raiders plus two and a half. Um, and I thought... Mainly, I thought it was just like a number thing, right? If you're going to tell me the power rating between these two, what's the difference? I would say that they're pretty much equals. Like, somebody might be, what? The Chargers record is better. Yes, but from a power rating standpoint, there's not much separating these two teams. We saw that when they played in the first week, and uh, we're seeing now with the Raiders, they are getting a little bit better. And I think the market, it's interesting, Steve, like, the market has this weird relationship with teams where it'll be too high sometimes on a certain team and then get a face get uh, gets its face kicked in, so then it swings too far in the other direction. The Raiders close as road favorites against the Titans, the Jags, the Saints. They lose those games outright, and then the market's like, hold on, this team's not that good, and then completely flips in the other direction, and then they're getting too many points in Seattle. Uh, I just I feel like we're just at a point where the market was maybe now far in the other direction. The market corrected itself. John Von Tobel down at Treasure Island. Cofield out here in San Diego as Cofield and Company rolls on. The uh, the number I was referencing before the last break, I don't know if you saw this from Josh Dubow, who does a great job for AP, still covering the Raider. By the way, we should mention that uh, the Nevada Sportscaster of the Year and uh, Nevada Sports Writer of the Year, the final five list is out. Um, that is, I forget the name of the, uh, the company. It's some national broadcast association. Um, those who are part of that, uh, and you pay to be part of it, you can vote on your opinion on who the sportscaster and the sports writer of the year is. I just mentioned Josh Dubow, who's out of state. He's actually a Northern California guy, but covers the Raiders. Uh, Willie Ramirez, our Willie Ramirez, and Adam Hill, both in the top five of the writers. So very cool, very cool. On that's, I'll take I'll, I'll yeah. as a show as a show we will take credit for their writing. That's right. That's right. And Q Myers, right? Part of the and I the broadcasters. Get, I didn't get to the the, uh, the broadcaster side of it, which is TV and radio. And I will say, too often in the past, and this is not a knock on people who have won or um, you know who's been voted for sports radio. I don't think has been accurately represented. So I was thrilled to see Q on that list. Yeah. So Q's a finalist, and I think the awards announced in about a month. And uh, Adam Hill and Willie. Uh, Willie writing for the AP, our finalist. Where do for I go the vote? Writer award. Say it again, John. D- is there is there a polling place near me? Where do I go vote? Do I go to like you know the New York's Junior High? Where do I go to vote for this thing? You can vote next year. You just have to. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the details of uh, the initiation fee, and then there's a monthly fee, and then you can vote. Oh boy. Did they jump me in? Uh, last minute? I don't think. I don't think they can. You did get some votes. I know that for a fact. You did get some votes as no, a I meant- lo- local sportscaster <laughs> of the year. Ari understood my reference. No, I meant like, do I go to a dark area and in a back alley, Russ Langer and all other these other media members like jump me in and beat the crap out of me so then I can enter uh, the <laughs> National Sports Media Association? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's how it works. I don't think there's a. Uh- Physical intimidation in this one, John. So dial it down a little bit. All right, we'll come back. We got more on the Raiders. Got more on this upcoming matchup with the running Rebels uh, taking on uh, USD 
in San Diego. That's a 7 o'clock game tomorrow. Ari, do we have any more of the uh, Crazy Horse 3 giveaways to send out? We're all good? Well, anyway, John Von Tobel is going to be hosting the Silver and Black After Party 5 to 8 on Sunday. John's got a ton of prizes. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of beautiful women. The entertainers are there. They got great drink specials. You go after, I mean, it's the closest place to party after the game, right? Right across the street from Allegiant. It's Crazy Horse 3 on Russell, Silver and Black After Party after every home game. So get on over there to show your ticket, show your local ID, and you are in for the party on Sunday. Tomorrow at 9 a.m., it's Throw the Flag with Willie Ramirez and Gooch, live from the Treasure Island, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Now the Rebels steal a basketball away, pass up ahead to Parquet for the slam dunk. David Mwoka, E.J. Harkless on the steal. at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. John Sandler on the call there. Big victory for the Rebels against Life Pacific. Much more difficult opponent coming up uh, here in San Diego. It's Cofield on the road. JBT is at the Golden Circle. By the way, Pac-12 title game in Vegas. USC out to a 7-0 start. I think it was Taj Washington who had back-to-back catches, one for 48 and one for two yards. 7-0 early in the game, USC on top of Utah. So let's talk a little uh, San Diego Torero basketball. Steve Lavin, very familiar name to uh, fans in Las Vegas, longtime broadcaster, former coach at UCLA, is at San Diego now, and he joins Steve and John here on this Friday. How you doing, Coach? Terrific. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Uh, You know, I know you're uh, you're busy getting ready for the game tomorrow, but uh, I wanted to start out. We haven't had a chance to uh, talk in a while, and you've been on the show before. Um, why San Diego to get back into the coaching ranks? Um, you know, what turned John about this job and this opportunity? You know, like so much of life, um, the fit for me, the timing uh, made it a natural. Uh, if I was going to return to coaching, uh, you know, being in a place, the West Coast, uh, where I've spent 50 of my 58 years, um, and uh, the challenge of, of bringing a program back to relevance. Uh, we haven't been to the NCAA tournament in 14 seasons. Uh, 2008 was the last time we made the NCAA tournament when Billy Greer, an excellent coach, was at the helm at the time. So uh, there's tradition here. There's a great you know, academic uh, element that obviously uh, is important when it comes to recruiting, uh, offering a, a world-class education, and a beautiful destination. San Diego is a wonderful place to live. And uh, West Coast Conference is a league I'm very familiar with. Uh, I grew up on the West Coast, uh, born and raised in the San Francisco, Northern California area. And uh, I know a number of the coaches in this league, like Randy Bennett, uh, Lorenzo Romar, and obviously Mark Few. Uh, So a lot of contemporaries and colleagues uh, that are coaching in the conference. And I like the upside uh, of this basketball program in San Diego. Yeah, we know several people, actually, uh, some of our regulars on the show who actually did go to USD. Actually, uh, uh, one of our attorney friends went there for, uh, for law school. And, and we hear, you mentioned San Diego's awesome as it is, but the, the campus is apparently just beautiful. Uh, so, you know, you bring kids onto that campus, and it's already a, a great area in San Diego, but I'm sure the campus puts it over the top. Yeah, it really does. There's a, a certain tranquility or peacefulness, uh, serenity, uh, in the whole San Diego area, but on the campus in particular, uh, almost transports you uh, to Europe, uh, another you know place on the 
on the planet. Uh, Spanish architecture, I guess Spanish Renaissance architecture that runs throughout the campus. And uh, it is a, a special place. And so we've got a long way to go. Uh, no surprise, we were picked eighth place uh, in the preseason you know, coaches poll. Um, but I like the group of players that we have, not only the returners, which is an excellent group, uh, but also the newcomers. Uh, but everything is new. And so, you know, new coaches, uh, 12 new players uh, that arrived, you know, within the past few months. And, of course, the five returners. And that makes up our, you know, 17, 18 players in terms of the roster and you know, nine coaches, including myself. And so it's uh, about getting acclimated to each other, getting a better sense for one another, and establishing a foundation here in year one and trying to gradually, incrementally climb the ladder in the West Coast Conference. No easy task. Last year we had three NCAA teams, which is a good thing, uh, but obviously makes it an arduous climb uh, for USD. But we feel up to the task and the challenge. That's why I jump back in the coaching business. As the voice of Steve Lavin, he's coaching at San Diego. UNLV is taking on San Diego tomorrow in a 7 o'clock start, 6.30 with the pregame right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So, you know, since you last coached, the game has changed a lot, but clearly you're not bothered by the transfer portal, I think, you realize that it's a reality in the game and it can actually really help you. I know a lot of coaches are frustrated, but you kind of have to use a transfer portal uh, at times to, uh, you know, get old and stay old. Yeah, there's no doubt. Again, you know, basketball in its purest form is a metaphor for life. And so whether it's in business or in college athletics, uh, professional sports, uh, you have to acclimate, adapt, adjust, evolve uh, with the changing trends. And so uh, much like what we ask our players to be able to do in terms of adapting, adjusting to game conditions or even from game to game, uh, you know, sometimes from half to half or timeout to timeout. And uh, that ingenuity and resourcefulness and, and being resilient, all those elements are important. And so as a head coach and as a staff, uh, we understand that the game is constantly evolving. And so there's no doubt uh, the transfer portal, uh, similar to professional sports with free agency or trades. Uh, in college, it's not only high school and prep school and European recruiting and junior college recruiting, and, uh, the transfer portal and the grad transfer portal. There's five or six elements right there. And so recruiting has become more specialized, and you have to strategically approach, uh, approach things in a strategic manner uh, to position yourself to be competitive in the recruiting landscape. And so uh, we're learning as we go. Uh, we're pleased with the first group of recruits, the 12 newcomers we brought in, eight scholarship players and four preferred walk-ons. And we're likely going to have to do that again next year. And that's just the nature of it, where over a 12-month period, uh, you may sign 18 to 20 players uh, because of the players that matriculate, that have used up their eligibility and move on in their life. And uh, also the grad transfers that come in for a year and then move on to uh, basketball at the next level. So uh, definitely got to keep an ear to the ground and, and work diligently and strategically uh, when it comes to the recruiting front. Coach, talk about uh, two of your Pac-12 transfers uh, in with the Toreros and uh, Jaden Dallaire and also Eric Williams because, uh, you know, they came with big reputations and so far they really delivered for you. Yeah, Jaden Dallaire uh, from Stanford, uh, originally from the East Coast, a uh, area. Uh, 6'8", great versatility. Uh, for us, uh, the player that um, after a career at the University of Washington and played so well under 
Lorenzo Romar, and then Mike Hopkins. Um, and out of the 2-3 zone in particular, uh, different zone defenses, different coverages, uh, Jaden's good feet and length and his intelligence allows him you know, to guard one through five. And, uh, and then offensively, he's improved his perimeter game. I think he's shooting close to 40% on the season. And he's an inside-outside player uh, that can influence the game positively. And uh, really pleased. And Eric Williams, a dynamic athlete, um, another player that can influence the game both offensively and defensively. Had a game against Utah State that was in, as impressive as any individual performance uh, in my career. And uh, we've had some impressive, but I'd say his 43 points, and I think it was 13 or 16 rebounds and made seven consecutive threes at one point in a heartbreaking loss to Utah State. Uh, but I think Utah State's going to have a heck of a season. And it was just a Donnie Brook kind of punch game. And uh, so no doubt uh, the Eric Williams and James are both are going to be critical uh, to our success. If we're going to achieve and, and have a special season, we need those two to, to really perform in a reliable or consistent way. Uh, along with some of the returners, Chase Townsend, who's having a lights-out year right now, just hit a three-point buzzer-beating shot the other night. Uh, against Longwood University and uh, Marcellus Erlington, a transfer from uh, got a double double the other night. So uh, we really go our challenges in establishing a rotation that we're comfortable with and building cohesion because there are so many new pieces, and I think that's the challenge more than ever. Uh, it's a universal challenge in sports, but. Uh, now in college athletics, even more so uh, with the changing personnel, there's continuity, having a player for years, uh, or a nucleus that plays together from year to year. So, okay, coaches have a leg up on the traditional four year coaches because junior college coaches have been dealing with this for their entire careers in terms of team and act yep. adapt to your personnel now. The four-year schools are, are learning. That's so important. Yeah, no doubt. You see the way uh, Eric Musselman and uh, Chris Beard, who's a you know a former JUCO guy, how they're, build, they're building their programs. Hey, before we get you out of here, uh, Coach, and we're talking to Steve Lavin, coach of San Diego, former UCLA coach, longtime broadcaster, uh, and your scout of UNLV, what are you seeing? What do you like about this UNLV team? What's going to challenge your team? You know, they are ahead of schedule. In terms of the new pieces, just what we were talking about, uh, they play with cohesiveness, uh, in particular on defense. Uh, they really you know, turn teams over. Uh, they've got a stout approach. You know, schooled by his father, Lon Kruger, and uh, you can see the apple didn't fall far from the tree in terms of the coaching philosophy and approach. They're physically stout. Uh, defensively, uh, they play a tenacious style and um, are just tied together. Uh, they don't give you easy shots and um, they make it a long day. Uh, if you don't move the ball, uh, if you're not willing to make that extra pass, if you over dribble, uh, those things will cost you. And then offensively, uh, they play well together. Uh, it's you know four players and double figures. Um, they players in liberally to keep fresh bodies on the floor and to keep that intensity and uh, tenaciousness uh, in play throughout. Coach, we appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you out at the arena tomorrow. Thank you so much. Okay, look forward to it.
Thanks, you guys. Bye-bye. There he is, Steve Lavin, uh, now the San Diego coach. Good gig, lots of potential. West Coast Conference, you know you can win in that conference. And, uh, John, he mentioned playing Utah State. Um, you know, so often I see UNLV fans talk about the rest of the Mountain West Conference and not really understand how good the conference is and how good the coaches are and that certain teams reload. And I think Utah State's one of those teams coming into the year that a lot of people overlooked, but they also hit the transfer portal. And they've got a kid that they brought in from uh, St. Joe's, came you know all the way across to Utah State. He's killing it. And I don't know how much you watch Utah State the last couple of years, but Stephen Ashworth, as a freshman and sophomore, had some good moments. I don't think he's very good defensively, and he also played like way too fast. Holy crap. Talk about a transformation. Um, Keyshawn Gilbert is one of the most underrated, under-publicized breakout players this year. So is Steven Ashworth. He's averaging 19 and a half points a game. And I, I'd have to look up the, the three-point shooting percentage I don't have in front of me. I'd feel like he's shooting 55% from three. Well, and when they're playing Odom style, I mean, they're always going to be in a lot of these games given the way they play defensively under Odom uh, with them, from what we've seen back at his stop at uh, UMBC. So, no, I would say that Utah State – uh, is very much a program that people should be unaware of. And, by the way, Ken Palm's aware of them because they're 55 in Ken Palm's rankings. So that is not a team to turn your nose up at at all. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. What I said was about throwing it deeper in the short game. You know, I, I got to execute that part better, but it's the short game that we kept going to, which was working, but I felt like we needed chunk plays, and, you know, I shouted that out to kind of get everyone going, and that's emotional, that's football. I'm passionate about this game. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Yeah, I'd be emotional and screaming John Von Tobel if uh, I felt like my coaching staff was letting me down, and that's where Mac Jones is right now. They are letting him down. He deserves to have his moment. Uh, I think anybody who watches the league knows what's going on with him. And uh, I was I was proud of Mac. He deserved to have that moment, and I think that everybody is kind of behind him. I don't think there should be any, uh, he's immature. No, he's getting screwed. Cofield and Company today brought to you in part by our buddies at the real estate guys, Aaron Taylor and Jacob Taylor. Real estate guys coming together with Lotus Broadcasting to uh, give you a chance to win $15,000 help cover your rent or mortgage. Um, and all you got to do to win it is just go to lbsportsnetwork.com and sign up. ESPN Las Vegas and uh, Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, putting up fifteen grand. You can use it for rent mortgage to cover uh, for the year or anything you want to use it for. It must be 18 or older. Get in. LBSportsNetwork.com. $15,000 a year-end prize from Lotus Broadcasting and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy. That is freaking awesome. Get in the back. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right. Why am I getting notes today on our story list uh, on multiple fronts about Drew Brees? Uh, he's dead. What? Stop. <laughs> uh, there was a video that was put out there. I feel like there's probably somebody out there driving in Las Vegas. What? Like, no, Drew Brees is not dead. Um, apparently, there was a video that was put out there um, of him being struck by lightning, and a lot of people fell for it. A lot of people fell for it. 
Now, it turns out Drew Brees is not dead. And, in fact, he was shooting something. And I believe we have this, uh, Ari, of Drew Brees explaining the situation. What's up, guys? Drew Brees here. Um, just wanted to jump on and let you know that I am alive and well here in Catatumbo, Venezuela, which, by the way, is the most active hotspot for lightning strikes in the world. And um, I'm buzzing, like literally um, so excited because PointsBet is giving away free lightning bets to all customers this weekend. But anyway, I gotta go. I gotta get back to set, finish this commercial. Hopefully lightning doesn't strike twice. There you go. No better pitch guy <laughs> slash comedian than Drew Brees. Or sports better, right? Yeah. That's the other. <laughs> Can you... You pick a more milk toast, lamo than to promote to promote sports betting. There can't be a show in the country that bags on Drew Brees more than this one, and it's not me. It's you and Adam Hill. He stinks. I don't like him. <laughs> he was boring. Boring when he was with NBC. Yeah, I think he like we've talked about this. He thought he was just going to stumble into a great broadcast. He turns it's not that easy. Um, and I don't think really that many people like him. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, John, what's your expectation tomorrow for this game against San Diego? It's a two-and-a-half-point spread, runner Rebels on the road, trying to move to 8-0 against a uh, rising program in the West Coast Conference. I think it's going to be their biggest test. I don't think there's really any question about that. It's you know a true road environment, which is somewhat tough for them. Uh, it's also a team that can shoot the ball pretty well. So I'm going to be pretty interested to see, you know, what they look like defensively, the rotations, uh, how they're going to help, and what they're going to look like if they're going to get that a little bit earlier on in the year, right? Uh, some of those driving kick opportunities for some early opponents were there for them. Um, and I think, I mean, in a couple of games, Southern Illinois had a couple of guys. I don't think Minnesota was that good offensively. This is probably their best offensive opponent that they faced since Dayton. I think that's pretty fair to say. And so what this defense looks like against a team like that, is going to be pretty interesting. And just how they respond to a true road environment. Like, San Diego's a good basketball program. They have good support. I just do wonder what that's going to look like for them. Uh, as we know, college kids in road environments tend to play a little bit differently. And uh, I'm really excited to see it. But really, perimeter defense, I'm really interested to see how that's going to look for them. It'll be interesting to see how they choose to defend uh, two bigger guys in the uh, transfers we talked to Steve Lavin about. And Jane Dallaire, who's 6'9". Eric Williams, who's 6'7", 6'8". And then uh, last year... They did a really good job. Um, Marcellus Erlington is listed at 6'7", 230. I think he's more like 6'4". They basically shut him down last year. He got some points, but he was 4'13", and looked really confused and frustrated. And you know, I brought it up with Kevin Kruger yesterday because I kind of remember what he said a year ago about how they defended him. And then when I brought it up uh, yesterday with him, he didn't get into uh, specifics this time, but Basically, um, they, they crowded Erlingson's space because he's you know, a big dude who wants to freaking get downhill, and they just made it really difficult, like kind of up in his face. And I start thinking about this roster and the way they can play defense. Like This roster has like four or five guys who can do that from one of your point guards in Keyshawn Gilbert, who's one of their best defenders, to Elijah Parquet, all the way up to the guy who plays center at times in Vicky Waka. Yeah, I, actually, that's what I'm most interested in. Like, I, I 
it's not that I thought. And actually, I was at the Thomas and Mac for that game. We we uh we got in on one of those family packs. It was great. Four tickets, four people, four hot dogs, four things of popcorn. It was fantastic. Um, but I I'm really interested because that was that was a team that was solid defensively, but did not have the switchability, the size, like the girth to really match up like one through four, one through five, and they still did a great job defensively in that game and completely shut them down outside of some three-point shots falling. This is going to be a massive, massive change for San Diego. One uh, bummer note for UNLV basketball. You saw that Isaiah Cottrell is back to day-to-day, and he's got that right foot uh, back in the walking boot. So a big they expected to be part of the rotation came back in the last game against Life Pacific. Uh, he aggravated something because he came off the floor and looked really frustrated and was wincing. So now it's very much touch and go for the uh, hometown hero, Cottrell, who came back from West Virginia. Yeah, that sucks, especially because the intrigue of not only for him because he's a young kid, you want to see him play basketball like he wants to, but the intrigue of what like a pick-and-pop kind of guy would have looked like in this offense, a dude who can space the floor a little bit more give you a little bit more stretch at the four, even though they play small and have some stretch at the four still, but or even a five that can really get out there and really stretch the floor, trail, and do some of those things. I thought I was just more interested to see what his fit was like and what he was going to provide from an offensive standpoint for UNLV because I thought there was a lot of potential there, but obviously hope he's going to be healthy and that he can just play because he wants to play. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Join uh, Von Tobel on Sunday, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock. He'll be at Crazy Horse 3 following the Raiders game. We'll see if it's going to be a win. Pretty amazing number thrown out there by uh, Josh Dubow that I keep teasing and we never got to it. Um, you know, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams are both on pace for 1,500-plus yards. That's only happened three times where a team had a rusher and a receiver go for 1,500-plus. And every one of those teams was a pretty good team. Like, the Lions never make the playoffs – that was a Barry Sanders, Herman Moore year back in 95. Cool. They went 10-6. and six. Colts went 13-3 and three with their combo of Edron James and Marvin Harrison. And then uh, kind of an odd name because people would never expect this guy to have 1,500 in a season. But Mike Anderson was good in a short stint for the 2000 Broncos with Rod Smith, yeah. the wide receiver. And that team went 11-5. and five. So it doesn't make much sense that the Raiders have two guys that are that outstanding, that impactful, and they're sitting at 5-7. and seven. I would love to see the defensive rankings of those teams that previously made it um, to the playoffs with guys who are putting up those kind of seasons because um, Raiders' defense isn't that good. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I said it doesn't make sense, I was, I was going to blurt it out like, well, it does because you can pile up all the numbers you want on offense if your defense doesn't <laughs> stop people consistently enough, then you're going to be 5-7. and seven. Yep, absolutely. So let's close on this. Go back in the bag one more time. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, are you getting up early to watch USA and Netherlands? Uh, early? That's late. Doesn't it start at 7? I'll be up by three hour for like three hours. <laughs> I, I forgot. A, a dad's clock. That's a work. It starts moving. It's like a stock market thing. Market starts moving early in the morning. Got to get that right up. That's a good point. Uh, and it does look like Pulisic is going to give it a go. Even though his groin is injured, America's P is ready to go. He is ready to go. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the game tomorrow, big NFL weekend. Again, go see John at Crazy Horse 3. And uh, listen tomorrow, 9 o'clock in the morning at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Willie and Gooch get you ready for the 
Saturday in sports action. Thanks to Ari. Thanks to all our great guests. Have a great week, and we'll uh, see you this weekend on the UNLV game.